It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. Today we are concluding a segment we started yesterday with guitarist Joe Satriani, part of our new series, Off the Road, musicians sharing their experiences with the pandemic and other crises. Hear everything we've aired so far, including part one with Joe, where he plays guitar for us, and with this post, the complete interview at hawaiipublicradio.org. How do you see touring resuming, Joe? Oh, yeah, I feel that the scientific community is going to figure this one out, come up with a vaccine. Ever since I've been touring in Asia, people wear masks all the time as a courtesy, because if they think they have a cold, they put on a mask. Through China and Japan and Korea, the other countries of Southeast Asia, all my trips, I've always encountered people with masks. There's no social stigma. It's considered a courtesy to the community. Uh, For some reason in the U.S., it's got some sort of twisted anti-freedom thing, and it's got to change, okay? Because people have to realize that the person wearing the mask is doing them a favor. They're trying to protect their community and their family. They're not saying, I think you're a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is about about the U.S. when we have a way of twisting things. This whole thing about freedom, they get it all twisted up. They build anxiety around anything that interferes with this idea of freedom. But, you know, here's the big thing that never gets talked about. Everybody talks about the audience. People generally will comment, I'll buy a ticket if someone is sitting six feet away from me. And that's all well and good. We're going to have to figure something out in that regard. However, what they're forgetting about is the local crew, the band's crew and the band are backstage in the worst possible situation in a pandemic. We are crowded, sharing everything. 18 hours in one city per day, and we're doing it probably six to seven days a week. So how does that get solved? So the people in the audience, you just sell two-thirds less tickets. Does it work for the the venue owner or the promoter? No, they're going to go bankrupt in a month. So that doesn't work for them. And as I said, if you don't solve it for the performers, well, then there's no way to do it. There's simply no way to do it. I want people to think, like the last time... I went on a tour last year. I did two tours with Experience Hendrix, five or six tour buses, up to 12 people on those buses every night together, sleeping in bunks. We're sharing the coffee machine, the refrigerator, the bathroom, the lounge. And what do we do when we get to the venue or the hotel? We go to a hotel room. We don't know who's been there. We're in elevators. We go backstage, we eat together communally, and there's the local crew there who wouldn't want to see a bunch of virus-infected people show up, but they got to deal with us too. And we got to deal with (laughs) the stage is the easy part because, you know, four of us walk on stage, we're six feet apart. So the only thing that's going to solve this is a vaccine. And I think they will. And they're going to figure out why some of us don't get it. But one thing's for sure is if you don't wear a mask, you're going to spread it and you probably will get it. So people should be wearing a mask. Forget about all that other stuff. Just just wear the mask. Are you already beginning to figure out alternate plans for how the tour will go, or is this really a tentative thing, this April 2021? Um, you actually asked me this question. I didn't answer it directly at the beginning of the interview. You were asking me about when I knew about the virus uh, and, and its uh, implications the first time. I was down in Los Angeles and San Diego, and I went to see Cirque du Soleil with 
my son, his girlfriend, and his family. And we were sitting there in the arena at San Diego State, and we were talking about it. My son's girlfriend's mother is an oncologist, and she works with a lot of doctors in her field. And so we were having a really frank discussion about where this might go. And we were wondering why we were allowed to even go to this event, but the U.S. hadn't really thought about any kind of a lockdown or sheltering in place yet. And we were talking about the likelihood that my tour would be stopped. And a few days later, we were home in San Francisco, and my wife and I were in a local market, and people were acting really strange. Mm. I remember asking the checker, I said, what's going on here? Did I miss something? I was out of town. You know what he said? He said, it's the end of the world. Oh, and he kind of said it half laughing, but he was really frightened. You could see because nobody had masks and nobody knew what was really happening. But he saw that the customers were clearing out the shelves, that people would do that. They'd forget about their neighbor and they'd just grab all the toilet paper or the soup or whatever. And so within 24 hours, I called my managers and I said, you know what? This is happening. Let's not even think for one second about business. Let's just think about our families and the band members' families. Everybody has kids, they have parents. Rock and roll is not more important than that. So call everybody and tell them we're not coming. And of course, for me to do that, that is a big freaking deal. <laughs> I don't want to swear on your on your radio show, but that was like, I mean, I was shaking when I realized I had to say this, but I said, I know this is weird, but I swear, I think this is a once in a lifetime thing and we have to stop this from happening. We got a lot of pushback from around the world because we had to call all these promoters who I've been friends with for three decades. They've been booking me since the 80s. And I had to say, you know, this is happening. And some people knew it was happening and they were ready. And others, they got so much pushback from their governments, like my promoter in France. We weren't allowed to say anything about the French dates until the very end because if the government doesn't say it's a force majeure, this is a big issue and everyone has to be forgiven of contracts, the promoters were going to get charged wow. for renting the theaters and the venues and it would put them out of business for life. They'd lose their entire life savings just having to pay these fines for canceling. So it was complicated. It was very complicated. But I was relieved to tell you the truth because I thought, you know, it's scary enough to go out on tour. You can lose a fortune in a week. Sure. You know, a week of bad ticket sales is devastating. It, it takes us maybe six weeks of touring just to pay off the costs of getting the tour started, especially if we're going overseas. It's a tough business deal anyway in the best of times. But I was relieved in a way because I thought at least I'm not going to make the people I love sick. That's a very riveting story, especially being in the store. Um, you just can't fake that one. Yeah. Final question. We seem to have layers of crises going on right now. And the civil rights, Black Lives Matter, questioning over how the police have handled matters, especially relating to black and African-American folks. Any thoughts or comments on what's happening now? Well, ever since I was a kid, it's been happening. I was woke out of my childhood in the late 60s. What a turbulent decade. I was made aware of the struggle of civil rights because it was happening right outside in the street. My parents were working in places that were affected directly by social unrest. We always had a kind of a United Nations family and group of friends. So it seemed totally incongruous to me 
that after years of having people of every race and country over for dinner, suddenly I had to realize people were not like that, were not like us. You know, even neighbors on my block turned out to be racist. And so it's so disturbing. At my age, it seems like nothing's changed. I know that a lot's changed. And we had Barack Obama. We have people of color and we have women representing our government and running companies, which was unheard of in the 60s when I was growing up as a young kid. So I know that things are better, but they are nowhere near what they should be. And so I stand with Black Lives Matter and people who don't understand it, I don't understand them. I just, I can't figure out how people can think like that, can be racist. It just doesn't work with me at all. Uh, nobody likes violence. They don't want to see people hurt. They certainly don't want to see people killed. But it's not an excuse for not standing up for what's right. And what's right is that everybody should be treated equal. Everyone should be afforded the equal civil rights. And when there's an abuse of power going on, it has to be stopped. So I feel bad. My generation has handed my son's generation this mess. I always thought when I was a kid that my older siblings and my friends and I, once we became grownups, we would solve all these problems, you know. You'd be able to play your guitar as loud as you want. Everyone <laughs> would be free to marry whoever they want. Everyone would be free to get any job and live anywhere they want, and everyone would have the same equal rights. Men, women, people of all races and colors. And it didn't work out. And so that means that we screwed up. And I'm embarrassed, horrified, that this is the world we gave them. We gave them... As my son's trying to get his career going, this is what his grown-ups gave him. That's pretty terrible, isn't it? It's a powerful, powerful statement, but it's powerful times. Always an honor to talk to you. Definitely the most unusual conversation, of course, we've ever had, but the record shape-shifting, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to make it back on the tour next year in April like you're talking about. But people can go to his website, satriani.com, and stay up to date with all the stuff that you're up to. Really do appreciate it today. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself, okay? 